Hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic. Chapter 6. Pompey Magnus and Crassus. To recap a bit about last episode, there was a lot going on. Lucius Cornelius Sola was due to command Roman armies in a war against King Mithridates in the east. However, Old Marius stole away his command by winning the popular vote, a manipulative popularist tactic. Sola, quite upset about this, took the army he raised and marched on Rome to take control of the Republic. This launched a series of civil wars between Sola and Marius. In Sola's first civil war and his first march on Rome, he killed one of Marius' supporters and forced him and others to escape for their own safety. Sola, who had violently taken control of the city, got what he had wanted and went off to have his war against King Mithridates. However, Marius did not just leave that there and allied himself with a politician named Cinna. Together, Marius and Cinna combined their forces to march on Rome and take control of the city just like Sola did. And just like as before, Cinna and Marius executed their enemies in the city so they could control the Republic as they saw fit. After Marius was elected consul for a seventh time, he died, leaving Cinna alone in charge of the city. Sola was successful in his war against King Mithridates and made his way back to Italy to launch his second civil war on Rome. Now, by the time that Sola got there, Cinna and Marius were already dead. Still, Sola had to fight to take control of the city of Rome and had help from allies like Pompey and Crassus. So three times in six years, generals marched on the city of Rome to violently take control of the Republic to do whatever the heck they wanted. This third time, and Sola's second march on Rome, Sola declared himself dictator of the Republic with unlimited power. Since Sola had an army in the streets, to try to oppose him would have been a death sentence. Sola somehow went more hardcore and created a list of prescriptions. If Sola even suspected you were an enemy, you were on his prescription list. Anyone could legally kill you and get some money from Sola for it. There were about 1,600 names on the list, and Romans started to turn on each other to please the dictator and make some money. While Roman politicians traditionally competed against each other for greater power and octoritas, this was an unprecedented leap of violence. The Roman general Sola used his Roman army to take control of the city of Rome and execute his Roman enemies. Just imagine an American general taking control of his section of the armed forces and storming Washington DC to take control of America with it. Sola, with his victorious army in Rome, was unopposed. No one had the might to stand up to him and his dictatorship. Sola, being a very modest dictator, only held power for a year before giving it up. Still, his short dictatorship had very profound effects on the Republic. Besides Sola's prescriptions, Dictator Sola reformed the Republic with an optimate vision, with the Senate guiding the Republic's laws and actions. Very anti-populares, the powers of the tribunes were stifled so that no radical could ever rise to manipulate the popular will ever again. Sola laid down the dictatorship, retired, and died. 
So yeah, between three hostile takeovers of Rome and a dictatorship and prescriptions, a lot happened last episode. A lot not great for the Republic. But who knows? Maybe this episode things are turning around. This episode, we will see the rising careers of two of Sola's star subordinates, Poppy Magnus and Crassus. Our essential question to keep in mind this episode is, what happens if you become too successful in Roman politics? Sola's prescriptions killed hundreds of Romans he believed were his enemies. One of Marius's loyalists, Quintus Sertorius, had served under Marius as he fought barbarians in the north and had rallied people against Sola as he returned to Italy. Beaten back to Spain, Sertorius still rallied survivors of the prescriptions, unable to return to Rome and continue a political career. There, Sertorius allied with Spanish tribes to fight the Republic. Furthermore, many Italian communities had recently been aggrieved by Sola. In 78 BCE, revolts began shortly after Sola's death. They quickly dissipated as soon as two armies led by consuls arrived. However, consuls with armies only created a new problem. One consul, Marcus Aemilius Lepidus, refused to lay down his command and return to Rome. The consul Lepidus had been a supporter of Sola, yet after the dictator's death, Lepidus wished to repeal Sola's measures. The Senate would not allow this. Sola had doubled the Senate from 300 to 600 men, so half of them were there because of Sola. Sola had also prescribed and eliminated many of his enemies in the Senate. Lepidus hoped that his army could take the city and strong-arm the Republic to do what he wanted, as Sola, Marius, Cinna, and Sola again had done before him. Lepidus went... Wait. Lepidus's rebellion would be defeated by his fellow consul and the young Gnaeus Pompey Magnus. Lepidus would die, but his five legions would wind up in Spain fighting for the rebel Sertorius. Just as the Republic suffered in Sola's life, it suffered in Sola's death. Young Gnaeus Pompey was a force to be reckoned with. He illegally raised two legions from his own wealth to prove his use to Sola as he made his second march on Rome. Sola found much use in Pompey, and Pompey would be sent to fight his enemies in Italy, Sicily, and Africa, each time victorious. When it came to the prescriptions, Pompey was reportedly thrilled to execute distinguished senators. For his cruelty, his enemies called him the Teenage Butcher. Sola called him Pompey Magnus, Pompey the Great. Pompey divorced his wife to marry Sola's pregnant stepdaughter, who died shortly after giving birth. Pompey, too young to be a senator and only legally holding command at the dictator's will, would celebrate a triumph for his victories. It was a military parade and a rare honor held only for a general's great victories over foreign enemies to the Republic. Achieving a triumph was a great way to get political publicity in Rome, to show your greatness and gain auctoritas. For example, the famous and celebrated Marius held two triumphs in his lifetime. Sola did not support Pompey's triumph but didn't stop Pompey as he attempted to ride into Rome on a chariot pulled by four elephants before downgrading to horses when the elephants wouldn't fit through the gates. While Pompey's great triumph might have gained the people's adoration, Sola wasn't as thrilled. Pompey also supported the future rebel Lepidus in his run for the consulship. Sola himself did not favor Lepidus, but Pompey supported him nonetheless. Their relationship soured, and Pompey would be written out of Sola's will. After Sola's death, Pompey was still not a senator, but remained a private citizen with a private army. When Lepidus turned on the Senate, the Senate appealed to Pompey and his strength. He was still only 28 when he beat Lepidus. Refusing to disband his army, he and his men were eager to shed more blood and win more glory. 
Pompey encouraged the Senate to send him off to fight the rebel Sertorius in Spain, proving to be the dangerous wildcard. Wildcard! The Senate capitulated to the young warlord, and in 77 BCE, let him loose in Spain, granting him Imperium, legal authority to command an army. Sertorius was not so easy a foe as Pompey's past conquests. Pompey and Sertorius would battle for five years. Pompey was undoubtedly frustrated at his formidable foe, but still adapted to the very skilled Sertorius. He was very slowly beating Sertorius, though the war could have gone on for years longer had Sertorius not been murdered by a subordinate in 72 BCE. Meanwhile, in Italy, Rome had a slave war to contend with. Beginning in 73 BCE, a few gladiators led by Spartacus escaped their training school and began a widespread rebellion of perhaps 20,000 men across Italy. Despite no experience in large-scale battle or the logistics of war, Spartacus and the rebels successfully defeated Roman armies thrown at them. Spartacus was likely supported by many Italian communities who recently had been wronged by Sola. Many Italians who supported Marius lost land to Sola's veterans. It would fall on Marcus Licinius Crassus to defeat the rebel slaves. Before fighting in the slave revolt, Crassus had joined Sola's cause as his own father had been killed by the order of Marius and Cinna. Crassus fled to Spain and was living in a cave for his own safety. Crassus then returned to Italy to support Sola and save Sola's life in a battle outside Rome's calling gate. While benefiting under Sola, he felt he wasn't given enough credit for his achievements and was overshadowed by the younger, flamboyant Pompey. Nonetheless, the shrewd Crassus was keen to buy the cheap property of the victims of the prescriptions and became one of the richest men in the Republic. Crassus was likewise efficient in fighting the rebel slaves and was slowly cornering Spartacus and his rebels. Yet one of his officers disregarded Crassus's plan and charged Spartacus. Spartacus proved his talent by fending off the attack, routing the army, and escaping Crassus's blockade. Crassus proved himself a severe general. Seeing his men lack discipline, he reinstilled it by decimating the routed men. One in ten men would be beaten to death by his comrades. Furthermore, their bread was downgraded from wheat to raw barley, and they were made to encamp in undefended positions outside the rest of the army. After giving his troops the proper motivation, Crassus continued his pursuit of Spartacus. After finally defeating the rebel slaves in battle, Crassus crucified 6,000 slaves from Rome to Capua to show the consequences of rebellion. Pompey, on his way back to Italy from victory in Spain, killed a few, I don't know, thousand slaves that escaped the defeat of Spartacus by Crassus. Pompey would then claim that he, not Crassus, had ended the slave war. This obviously did not improve relations between Pompey and Crassus, nor is the only occasion Pompey the Great tried to steal the glory of others. Despite being popular and well-liked for his victories as a successful general, Pompey's political skill was hampered as a successful general. Pompey the general commanded men who followed his orders to the letter. Pompey the politician would have to play the game, manipulating and persuading people to his side, muscles he never had to develop before. Nonetheless, in 71 BCE, Pompey decided that he wanted to be consul. Pompey had never been a magistrate, was still not a senator, and was seven years too young to be consul, all of which violated Sulla's laws. But more importantly than laws, Pompey had an army camped just outside Rome. His rival Crassus also had an army camped outside Rome and was also running for the consulship. Both Pompey and Crassus had Imperium and legally possessed these armies. Technically, they never threatened Rome. 
Still, looking to recent memory, it was easy to see why the Senate was nervous. That Pompey or Crassus may pull a Sola and use their armies to seize control of Rome to get their way. Outside Rome, Pompey and Crassus would set aside their differences and campaign together for the consulship. Did we just become best friends? Yup! The Senate ultimately caved and let Pompey run. Despite not meeting Sola's legal requirements, Pompey at least had experience in military command. As a result, Pompey and Crassus were easily elected consuls and would now lead the Republic together. We think it would be very prudent. Can we turn our beds into bunk beds? The new consuls who had risen under Sola began to tear apart their old boss's laws. In one example, Pompey and Crassus restored the powers of the Tribunate, allowing them to propose laws and allowing them to hold an office after the Tribunate. Sola's vision of a republic led by an optimate senate was being undone by two of his star subordinates eight years after his death. However, the fact that the senate that Sola curated passed these measures showed they were no longer keen on Sola's hyper-conservative vision of the Republic. Their consulship started off well. Pompey had a second triumph for victories in Spain. Crassus had an ovation, a parade less significant or spectacular than a triumph for defeating Spartacus and the slaves. Again, Pompey won popularity and fame by the people for his victories. Crassus, not to be one-upped, said, Then check this out. Crassus used his own fortune to give Rome lavish feasts, as well as giving three months' supply of grain to all citizens. Consul Crassus wanted to show his Romans just how much he cared. It's not about money. It's about sending a message. When you were as rich as Crassus was, it was easy to buy the people's love with your own generosity. Crassus wondered out loud about Pompey the Great's title, asking, Why? How big is he? Not a terribly nice thing to say about anyone, especially your ally and the greatest living general in Rome. Despite their joint campaign, the consuls' rivalry was heating up again, and their relationship became icy. Why are you, Why are the, way you the way that you are? are? Honestly, Honestly, every time, every time I, try I try to do something, something fun, fun or, or exciting, exciting you, you make, make it not, not that, that way. way. I, I hate so much, so much about, about the things, things that you, you choose, choose to, be. to be. But nothing spectacular happened for the rest of their consulships. Both actually declined governorships in the provinces after their terms were up, choosing to stay in Rome rather than make easy money. Pompey then spent two years as an undistinguished senator, his hunger for glory growing each day. Lucky for Pompey, Rome's piracy problem was becoming a more pressing issue. This is exactly what I've been waiting for. Rome had no regular fleets patrolling the Mediterranean, nor in its conquests had left any naval power capable of policing pirates. Thus, in the eastern Mediterranean, pirates were looting ships with grain destined for Rome. In 67 BCE, pirates kidnapped Roman praetors on the coast of Italy. Tribune Aulus Gabinius proposed Pompey Magnus be given command of the Mediterranean to crack down on piracy. His specific legal power would be called Imperium Maius, which meant greater imperium, greater authority, over any Roman governor he would encounter. With Imperium Maius, a governor's normally unchallenged authority would be subordinate to Pompey. It was allowed that Pompey could demand the aid of a governor for 50 miles inland. But the Senate disapproved of Gabinius's unprecedented proposal. Pompey was just a senator, not a magistrate, and had no legal authority to command like a consul, praetor, or active military officer. It was illogical to suddenly give him superior authority to any magistrate. That is the most illogical attitude. 
Additionally, Imperium Maius was a lot of power to give to one person. Sola was rolling in his grave as Gabinius brought the matter to Rome's citizens for a popular vote. The citizens who had twice seen Pompey Magnus's triumphs voted to give Pompey this great command and overruled the Senate's decision. The Republic was what the citizens wanted, not the Senate. Populari's tactics put Pompey the teenage butcher back in command. Like most of his military endeavors, Pompey was deadly efficient. Pompey was more than a match in combat at sea and accepted the surrender of pirates, allowing them to settle as farmers in new communities where they could make a living without violence. Still, his pettiness re-emerged when he tried to take credit for defeating the pirates on Crete when it had been a governor. Nonetheless, Pompey Magnus got another fix of fame from the adoring Republic. Command kept falling into Pompey's lap, and Rome entangled itself in another war with King Mithridates VI of Pontus. Lucius Licinius Lucullus had commanded forces against Mithridates since 74 BCE, but wasn't so gifted as a commander as Marius, Sola, or Pompey. By 69 BCE, his strength was eroding, and in 66 BCE, Tribune Gaius Manlius proposed to the citizens, not the Senate, that Pompey Magnus, after his successes in suppressing piracy, be given command to fight King Mithridates. Again, the people passed it, and Pompey Magnus was given command. Pompey warred against King Mithridates and came out on top. Pompey engaged in aggressive expansion, conquering past Pontus, further into modern Turkey, and into the Levant. After boldly conquering and plundering lands where no Roman general had gone before, Pompey was now one of, if not the richest man in the Republic, and had much of his eastern conquests indebted to him. Pompey made client kings and kingdoms out of his conquered territory. The kings were allowed to rule their territory so long as they did everything Rome asked of them. If not, it would be easy to dispose of them and install a new king more loyal to Rome. Pompey made many kings loyal to Rome, and to himself in particular. As a gesture of goodwill, many kings bribed Pompey and gave him gifts, giving the conquering general more of a reason that they should stay on their thrones. Beyond foreign kings, many Romans who had campaigned with Pompey became loyalists to him. Just as Pompey's career began under Sola, under Pompey did the careers of many young politicians. They supported Pompey, and as Pompey was rising, they were rising too. The new eastern frontier sufficiently conquered, and Rome's borders expanded, Pompey was due home. Some feared he would pull a Sola, turning his loyal army on Rome to run the Republic. Yet Pompey disbanded his army as soon as he returned to Italy. Pompey was getting all he wanted from the political system and had no need to disrupt it. Popularis tribunes had twice given him great commands, and as the saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Pompey also divorced his wife Musia, who had borne him his three children, allegedly for her infidelity. Pompey only reactivated his army to celebrate his third and most extravagant triumph, an unprecedented two-day celebration where he boasted defeating over 12 million people, made over 1,500 towns surrender, awarded each soldier in his army 10 years' pay, doubled the Republic's income with his plunder, displayed 300 kings, queens, and generals as hostages, and wore a cloak of Mithridates, said to have once been worn by Alexander the Great. Pompey Magnus had achieved what all Romans desired, to have riches, fame, and the most power noctoritas of their generation. While Pompey was out conquering, 
Crassus had been less extravagantly increasing his wealth and power after his consulship. The only person who may have been wealthier than Pompey was Crassus. Crassus invested his money more carefully and lived more modestly than the senators who bought themselves luxurious houses and amenities. Crassus had his slaves renovate houses he would buy to then sell at a higher price. Crassus also had a slave fire brigade who would put out fires easily started in Rome after Crassus negotiated how much the homeowner would pay him. We're having a fire sale! If they couldn't pay Crassus enough money, Crassus would let their home burn to the ground and then buy the empty lot. If Crassus did end up with an empty lot, that was no problem, because Crassus could just have his slaves build a much nicer house and sell it at a very good price. Best in the real in the state. Uh -huh. This practice further enriched Crassus, who had come a long way since living in a Spanish cave. Crassus was quoted saying, I have been a rich man and I have been a poor man, and I choose rich every time. With his immense wealth, Crassus claimed a man could not call himself rich unless he could raise his own private army. Crassus was, by his own standards, very rich. A shrewd businessman and a shrewd general, he remained a shrewd politician. He was very active in politics and used his immense wealth to gain political favors. Crassus happily lent money to young men looking to start a political career, not even charging interest, though it was a stickler for being repaid on time. By investing in politicians, Crassus indebted many to him, and thus had many political favors he could call in for his ambitions. The Senate was still made up of 600 men, most of whom probably owed money to Crassus. Only the wealthiest families may have been able to totally fund their own careers, free of Crassus's influence. Most useful to him were the senators who were not magistrates, not a tribune, praetor, consul, etc., but still had the same voting rights as any senator. They were not likely to be called to speak, but if they owed Crassus money, You owe me like a dollar! They were in his pocket, and could be called on to vote as he wanted. Still, even with so many in his pocket, Crassus found his wants limited by others. Crassus was elected censor in 65 BCE, a magistrate primarily concerned with conducting the Roman census. Crassus sought to make the people of Cisalpine Gaul full Roman citizens. This was thwarted by senators, fearing this would give him too much influence, with a whole body of citizens indebted to him. Crassus was also blocked in trying to annex the kingdom of Egypt as a province by his fellow censor. Both of them resigned as censors early, leaving the census incomplete, an example of the Republic's institutions failing in its decline. Still, by 61 BCE, Pompey and Crassus were the most influential people in the Senate. Many experienced, talented men had been killed in Sola's prescriptions 20 years earlier, and there were a few distinguished members whose rhetoric held sway on the Senate floor. Pompey had flashy wealth and popularity, won by exceeding military talent. Crassus's wealth and influence was more slowly earned, though still sizable. Crassus was also more skilled at using it than Pompey. While he was famously triumphant in the East, Pompey once again had to adjust to domestic Roman politics after years of being a commanding general. A senator would have to write Pompey a pamphlet explaining how Senate meetings worked. As a senator, Pompey's goals were to secure land for his loyal veterans and to confirm the legitimacy of the laws he established in his eastern conquests. While Pompey was not a natural politician, both of these were good ideas that would benefit the Republic and bring stability, but each failed. While earlier, Pompey managed to secure conquered land in Spain for the veterans of his Spanish War, the consul Metellus Cellar opposed the settlement of Pompey's more recent veterans 
because of Pompey's divorce from his half-sister Musia. But this was a marriage of spirit, flesh and bone. I've made a huge mistake. Pompey also wanted to confirm the legitimacy of his actions in the East in a single block. Generals had made laws for conquered territory before, and Pompey made relatively good laws. Pompey's problem was that he made these laws without senatorial approval to do so in the first place, which was the precedent. Lucullus, whose command against Mithridates had been usurped by Pompey, opposed him. I've made a huge mistake. The conservative optimate Cato the Younger joined Lucullus in opposition of Pompey. Cato the Younger emulated his famous grandfather, Cato the Elder. He practiced Stoic philosophy and lifestyle and was a paragon of traditional Roman values and was untouched by any scandal in his life. Both Lucullus and Cato ensured Pompey's laws and their legitimacy would be painfully picked apart. Metellus Seller and Lucullus opposed him out of spite. Cato and his conservative associates wished to hamstring Pompey's successes so he could not dominate the Republic with wealth and fame. For all of Pompey's artoritas, a united front against him could still obstruct him. As an analogy, imagine a middle school track meet. Everything is pretty even, individual kids get their time to shine at different events. However, everything changes when Usain Bolt shows up and does his thing. On his own, Usain Bolt is killing it, winning every event handedly. However, all the middle school track stars banding together kicking at his kneecaps, trying to tackle Usain as he's running, serving as roadblocks to slow him down. They're making the tournament fair again, injuring him so he can't participate, and they get to play. That, in a way, this analogy got away from me, that is what Roman politicians were trying to do to Pompey. Roman politicians united in trying to tear Pompey down and obstruct his success so they could have their own successes. Crassus may have enjoyed watching Pompey squirm, but would also find his influence made impotent by a determined resistance. Crassus was associated with Roman tax collectors who in the East were not going to be able to deliver all the money they promised the Republic's treasury. The region was left impoverished by Pompey's wars and they wanted to renegotiate how much they would give to the Republic. Crassus supported that the tax collectors should give less to the Republic. Again, Cato the Younger led the opposition and convinced the Senate to reject the appeal and demanded the promised taxes be squeezed from the east. I want you to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze! Our essential question this episode was, what happens if you become too successful in Roman politics? Go ahead and pause if you'd like to think of your response. In short, if you become too successful, too influential, and gain too much actoritas, other politicians will try to tear you down. Yes, Roman politics was a competition between everyone to show that you alone were the best. However, if you became too dominant, were hogging glory, octoritas, and influence, less successful politicians would unify against you to drag you down. Pompey and Crassus both began as subordinates under Sola. Each did well for themselves after his death, even if they were rivals to each other. Each earned their power through different tracks. Pompey with unmatched military talent, using it to carve out new lands for Rome, bringing him fame, fortune, and adoration of the people. Crassus's fortune and influence was earned with financial and political investment, and he had many senators owing him a favor. But as powerful and influential as Pompey and Crassus were individually, 
they could not dictate the will of the Republic, and for all their fortune, their objectives were thwarted by just a few politicians with just enough influence and octoritas to block them. Next week, we're going back in time a bit to cover the rise of another young, ambitious, and radical politician. His name is Gaius Julius Caesar. Oh, it's really warming up now, isn't it? As we'll see next week, Caesar has been a background character in these important events and violent shifts in Roman politics, but he won't remain a background character forever. Julius Caesar, his alliances, and his wars are an S-tier reason that the Roman Republic died. You can follow the show at D-O-T-R-R-Pod on Twitter for some supplemental education materials and, of course, Roman history memes. Go follow the show, come for the facts, stay for the fun, it'll be a good time. Feel free to subscribe and rate and review the show on platforms like Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show via email, you can email dotrrpod at gmail.com. That's dotrrpod at gmail.com to contact the show. Thank you for listening. All that said, friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show.